You know, the last couple of weeks have uh, been really, really interesting. Um, you're, you're always trying to figure uh, what's going on, what's happening, uh, how uh, the transitions are going to come about. Um, you know, one of the things Kathy and I laughed about uh, a couple of days ago was, was, was what are we going to call the new pastor? And uh, I said, how about John the Baptist? <laughs> and she said, no, nah, that wouldn't be right. <laughs> I said, how about PJ? And she's like, PJ, you know, that, that sounds a little, a little childish, maybe not. I said, how about PJJ? You know and so on and so forth. And we, we even got to the point where we said, how about just Pastor Jenkins? And when, and when, I, when I ran that by uh, Pastor Jenkins, he said, you know, that, that sounds a little bit too old for me. So <laughs> we came up with Pastor John. And it is my honor to bring to you the next senior pastor at West Highland Baptist Church Pastor John Jenkins. All right. Well, good morning, church family. It is great to see each of you this morning. And uh, I'm not sure what Pastor Tom typically did with this. Is that all right if I do that? I know if anything, if there's anything out there that a pastor knows, you def definitely don't want to get yourself in trouble with the, with the sound team, because uh, you can't do what you're called to do if you're not on the same team with them. So thank you guys for all you do. Was, I hadn't stepped back in there, for sure. I hadn't stepped back in there until this morning, and that, that is quite a control center back there making this all possible, so thank you. Oh. What, a, what an interesting moment in all of our lives, Amen. Uh, it hasn't been without its challenges, it hasn't been without its sleepless nights, it hasn't been without the emotions of the Lord leading us to new, to new seasons and new chapters, and that's equally true for my family and for this family. And uh, it's something I believe, as we just heard sung about, that the Lord is going before us in, He's walking beside us in, and what a treasure to know that in it all, He is for us. Amen. And I'm excited about what the Lord has planned. I'm excited to just be a small part of that. Excited that the Lord uh, has led in each of your lives to be a small part of what he has planned in this community, uh, in, in the local reach of, um, in earshot, if you will, of this gospel lighthouse, that his message go forward uh, to those that so desperately need to hear it. The book of Revelation, this isn't in the message, and don't let this cut into my time, guys, but no, I'm just kidding. The <laughs> book of Revelation, there's a, in chapter number seven, there's this beautiful scene around the throne of God when those that'll be gathered from every tribe, nation, and tongue will stand as one, one worship team, one choir, one body, and they'll declare, worthy is the lamb. What a moment that's going to be. And uh, he's left us here for now to be his instruments and his gospel witnesses, so that all of those that he desires to be with us on that day 
we'll have a chance to hear the gospel and we'll have a chance to be invited to that eternal celebration. And that's what we're here for. Amen. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God that has uh, been shed abroad in our hearts already and those of us that have come to Christ and we can celebrate all that that means. I didn't specifically know what to talk about this morning in these moments of transition. Uh, you wonder what the Lord has and I um, just surrendered my heart to what the Lord would lead uh, me to over these past couple weeks as we've been prayerful and and we've been emotional as a family and transitioning from a, a, a spiritual family 15 miles to the west of here that, that dearly loves us and that we dearly love. And the Lord just led me back to one of these uh, foundational passages that we find in the New Testament where we really can find identity. And I feel like that's such a good place to start for us together in this moment. Who are we? What are we doing here? Why are we gathered? And the Lord led me back all the way to the book of John, chapter number 13. If you'd like to grab your Bibles or your tablets or whatever it is that you have. Um, we're going to talk this morning about the defining trait for a Christian. You know, churches are known for various things, aren't they? Each church has a testimony of sorts. We're each a part of that. I can think specifically there's a church in the community of the Clarkston area that has a giant sign out front. It's a big arch, and there's a big depiction of the Lord Jesus Christ there along Interstate 75. Some of you might know that church, and I remember driving past that church. My, my brother, who actually, as a 30-year-old, entered into heaven uh, four years ago, uh, his funeral service was held at that church, and um, there's a sign out front of that church that says, are you on the right road? And of course, all those people traveling down I-75 know they're on that road, but they, they look metaphorically or spiritually maybe at the condition of their soul and wonder, where am I really headed in terms of my life and my eternal destination? That church has a, a shining symbol, a testimony of sorts to Christ and to that question that they hope to have resonate in hearts of all those that drive past the church. I was uh, in Nashville, Tennessee earlier this week for a few days at a big music conference that I hope to take our worship team to in the near future. Uh, and had my heart stirred, and on the way, we were driving through the community of Cincinnati. I don't know how many of you have ever been through Cincinnati, and if there's any Cincinnati sports fans in here, I'm sorry, but every time I drive through Cincinnati, I think, thank you, Lord, that I live in Michigan. <laughs> I would go wherever you called me, Lord, but I'm so glad I don't live in Cincinnati, you know? If you're watching online this morning from Cincinnati, we sure love you, of course. But there's a church there on the side of the interstate that had a large statue. It must have been 60 or 70 or 80 feet tall, and it's a statue of the Lord Jesus Christ with his arms extended. Diane's been past the church, and what a testimony that is, and that church is trying to declare to that community, Jesus is here, and Jesus is waiting with open arms to receive you. What a beautiful testimony that is. You know, sometimes Christians as well as churches are also known by the testimony that they uh, live out. They're known for various things. In a recent sermon, I was doing some research and was preaching from Matthew chapter number seven where the Lord uh, articulates to us in the Sermon on the Mount how that we are not to judge or be, uh, be quick to cast judgment, but to remain discerning and spiritually uh, uh, perceptive, but also not to be quick to judge the motive of a heart. And I was doing some research, and I typed in the, 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 the Google search engine there. How many of you still go to Google, right, and use the Google search engine, right? And I, I, I went to the Google homepage, and I typed in 
Uh, Christians are, and I wanted to see you know, what the algorithm and what all the traffic on the internet would dictate. I encourage you, maybe don't do it right now while we're in the sermon, but maybe after the service, uh, do this just to fact check me, if you will. Uh, and, and what happened, at least on my screen, uh, was that Google gave me some suggestions for what Christians are based upon what the perceptions of Christians is. And you would have thought, you know, one of the things that might have come to the surface, Jason, was Christians are nice. Christians are faithful. Christians are patient. Uh, Christians are gracious. If you search it the way I search it, what came up for me and the very first suggestion that Google wanted to insert was Christians are judgy. And I thought, ooh, not sure if I like that a whole lot. Lord, help me be a part of the solution to correct that perception of your children. But Jesus here in our text this morning, and all throughout the scripture for that fact, encourages us, I think of this passages like Matthew 5, where he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Why? So that they may then glorify your Father which is in heaven, right? Jesus was articulating something to his disciples, to his original disciples, the importance of how that they would be most easily identified with him. You understand that being a disciple of Jesus in the context of John chapter 13, where we'll get in just a moment, was a brand new concept. <laughs> uh, we understand what, what is a disciple. A disciple is simply uh, someone who is a follower or, or a student of the teachings and the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I would hope all of us this morning would consider ourselves not only identified with Christ in salvation, but that we would also be intentionally, daily choosing to walk with the Lord and to follow Jesus Christ and to be his student. And Lord, where you bid me, Lord, here am I, send me, I will go. I am your follower, not just your admirer, uh, not just someone who's affiliated with your message, but Lord Jesus daily in a step-by-step faith walk, I am your follower, amen? But that was a brand new concept for these disciples, and they didn't know how they would be most easily identifiable as Christians. I know sometimes Christians in our day and age, you might see someone in a restaurant on a Sunday afternoon, and maybe uh, there's some people that look like they're wearing church clothes or something like that, and you think, oh, I wonder if they're Christians. They must have just come from church, you know? Uh, But in the day of Christ here that we'll see in John chapter 13, it was much different. What did a disciple truly look like? And while this was descriptive, again, for the disciples in this passage, it's also prescriptive for us because, you see, uh, it's not just things like being a member of a church or wearing a certain type of clothing or listening to a certain type of music in your car on the way to work, worship music or otherwise, or, or identifying with different things about Christ that make us truly his disciple, that make us truly distinguishable as a Christian. But Jesus sat down with his disciples, and he's there uh, at the beginning of the week of the, the Feast of Passover, and of course, there's Judas sitting there among them, if you read earlier in this chapter, and, and Judas is beginning to be identified by Jesus Christ, and he walks out, and the Lord says this to his disciples in chapter 13 of John, verse 34 and 35. Some of you wondered, Pastor John, will we ever get there? He said this, a new commandment I give to you. This is a new concept, fellas. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And here's the punchline this morning. 
by this, by the description of verse number 34 and the command, this isn't a recommendation for Christians, for Christ followers, for disciples. This is something the Lord Jesus Christ commands. By this command, we'll all know that you are my disciples. And he says again, if, and let me paraphrase here, this is my version of the Bible, and I don't intend to, to write one, if and only if you have love one or another. Let's just pray together and just invite the Lord into this moment, and then we'll finish the message. God, would your truths this morning be written upon the table of our hearts? Lord God, would the Spirit reveal to us things that this human instrument, this young pastor could never attempt to reveal in a thousand lifetimes. Lord, would your spirit help us to see where the application is in our lives? And Lord, would you write this upon the table of our hearts in such a way that we wouldn't this afternoon have to remember or to guess or to uh, you know, have some type of mystery as to what we received this morning? But Lord, this would be something that we would take not only with us this week, but Lord, this would be something we would walk with and we would take with us for the rest of our Christian experience as your followers. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus is telling his disciples in this passage this morning, just as he's telling you and I, if you want to be identified with me, and wouldn't you agree this morning, church, that is something that we all should desire. It's so much more important than people that we work with or that people that we know understand that we attend church at West Highland Baptist Church. And that's a good thing, and that can be a great thing. But what's far superior to that is that people can look at our lives and say, that person demonstrates the attributes, the characteristics. There's evidence there that they are a child of the living God. And I hope your experience in this church and your life among this body and the, the weekly fellowship and, and the coming together to be instructed in the word and to worship the Lord only helps you in that pursuit. But understand, this is just a means to that end. And Jesus said, this is how you will be identified as my disciple. He goes on in John chapter 15, a little farther, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And he goes on to say, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And we, of course, know just days later, Jesus would go on to, to prove, to validate his love for his disciples by laying his life down on the cross of Calvary. And he did that for you, and he did that for me, and all the disciples for the generations to follow that would become students of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus doesn't just say, love people based upon your human perception of love. You know, some of us have some different perceptions of love. We've we experience it in our marriages. We experience it in different dimensions of human relationship. And sometimes we get a, a perception of love that is more experiential, right? Or that is more emotional. And I, think, I think about young lovebirds. I think about young, you know, young high school or college age kids that feel like, ooh, there's an attraction and I, I like this person. I like this member of the opposite sex. And, and they begin to date and they think they know what love is, right? I remember looking at my wife for the very first time and thinking, oh, my soul, who is that? Thank you, Lord, for putting her in this room. And we began to grow in love, and even on the day that we were married, we thought we understood what love was. But now, 
as we've grown together and as we've faced adversities together and it was as we've committed ourselves to one another on a daily basis and the Lord has made us one in every sense, we're beginning to grasp a little more what love really looks like from God's perspective. And the Lord says, don't just love people the way that you in your human love perceive love, but actually I will define for you what love is. And he went on to do that. I want to just encourage you this morning that the love of God is in you if you are in Christ. If the Spirit of God hasn't dwelt you, if you've been brought to new life in Christ and received the gift of salvation, there's something going on in there that you have very little to do with. There is a divine, holy work that, a, that the living God of the ages is beginning to do in you, and he, by the grace of God and praise to his name, will be faithful to complete that work over the days and the seasons and the years that we walk with him until we're perfected in glory with him. But Jesus says this in 1 John 4, chapter 7, through his biblical author, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for the love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And so we understand that God's love is in us, and it's only Christ in us that makes loving others the way that Christ defines love possible. What does this love look like that we are called this morning to demonstrate that will be the defining trait of our lives as Jesus' disciples? What does that look like? Well, I'm so thankful that the Lord has outlined that for us, I believe, in the New Testament and various other passages. I want to just give you three things that I believe the love of God is that we can, we can wrap our hearts and minds around, and then we can say, oh, I see how that can fit into my daily walk and into my life. First thing that I would say that the Scripture reveals to us that the love of God is, and thereby we can model as we attempt to be defined by the love of God, is that God's love is an intentional love. Do you hear what I said? An intentional love. What, what does that even mean, Pastor John? Well, First John chapter 4 says this, in this was manifested the love of God for us, because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse number 11, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. When I use that word intentional, I'm thinking about the, uh, not reactive, but the preactive, the, the, in, the way that the Lord, through Jesus Christ, initiated relationship with you and me. We were lost and undone without him. He saw that the plight of our souls was eternity in damnation, set apart from him in a place called hell, and he decided to intervene for God so loved the world that he gave that he took the first step. It's one of those but God moments that changed all of our eternal destinies. Amen? And so when Jesus demonstrates the love of God the Father and his love for us, he demonstrates that it's an intentional love. And so it's in the direction of, it's toward us. We love God because he first loved us. We didn't take the first step. He took the first step. And then in reciprocation of that love, we turn and step toward him for salvation 
and for our living as his sons and daughters. You know, there's a real difference between loving someone in your heart and then actually following through to demonstrate that love for them. I wonder how many words of affirmation, how many encouraging thoughts lie dormant in our heart that the Lord is calling upon us to share with our brothers and sisters, with our husband, with our wife, with our children, that never get practiced, that never get executed. I had, I think, two precious ladies in our church message me over these last couple weeks and said, Pastor John, I know you don't know me yet, but listen, the Lord puts you on my heart, and I just, I literally, I, I've been tossing and turning at night. The Lord wanted me to send you this message and encourage you that we believe he is working and that he is with us, and we're praying with you, and, and you have no idea what that meant for me as the Lord was guiding in this process in my life. So I invite you, church, into that same ministry among this body, an intentional love. Of course, the love that we actually see in John chapter 13, if we want to look back to the original languages, is the love word that comes from the Greek root word agape, which is a self-sacrificing, intentional love that is not made in emotion or reaction, but that is a deliberate choice. We get to practice that when the scriptures tell us in places like Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, that we should also love our enemies. Well, that doesn't feel very nice. That's not easy to practice. Lord, you know what they've done to me. You know the damage they've caused me. You know the heartache that, it, that, 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 that exists in my life because that person hurt me. Well, again, if we're going to be defined as disciples of Jesus and we're going to love like Jesus, we're going to have Jesus' love. And that love reaches intentionally. I know everybody in this church at one time or another has been hurt in your spiritual life. You've been hurt by an unkind word, a a misperception of a motive. You've you've faced challenges of all kinds, and I certainly have too, being the son of a pastor and being around the ministry. But I believe it's the Lord's desire that we work on that, (laughs) right? And that the love of Christ be experienced in this way, in this place, in a way that maybe it couldn't be experienced anywhere else in this world. Let me give you this. A newspaper columnist uh, and a a pastor, his name was George Crane, he tells of a wife who came into his office full of hatred towards her husband. She said this. She said, I do not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. So there's some real resent there in her heart. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he's hurt me. Maybe some of you have been in that situation in your, in your life. Maybe some of you are there even this morning. Dr. Crane suggested this ingenious plan. He said, go home and act as if you really love your husband. She was almost enraged, and she thought, well, that's not going to be possible. He said, tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait that he does have, if you can work so hard to find one. And some of you ladies can identify with that this morning, right? <laughs> Just kidding, of course. Some of you guys are like, wow, this guy's coming after us. (laughs) He said, go out of your way to be as kind, as considerate, as generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. And then after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then drop the bomb. Tell him that you're getting a divorce. That will really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes, she smiled and exclaimed, beautiful, just beautiful. Will he ever be surprised? She left the office and she went back to her home and she did what the pastor had had recommended with enthusiasm, acting 
as if for two months she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcement, sharing and caring with her husband. But two months elapsed. The day that was appointed was upon them. She did not return to the office. Pastor Crane called her and said, are you ready now to go through with the divorce? I'm kind of standing by. And she exclaimed, divorce? What divorce? Never. I've discovered that I really, truly do love him. And that's the power of putting love into practice by intention. We got to run through these next two a little quicker. Not only was the love of Christ intentional, but it also it's, it's toward us unconditional. What do I mean when I say the love of God is unconditional? The book of Romans chapter number five, verse eight says that while we were yet sinners, you know it, church, what does the Bible say? Christ died for us. And the message of the gospel is that you don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to be a perfect object of God's love to be the recipient of God's love. But God finds you, as many of you can remember back where you were in your life and in your testimony, when you were a mess and when you had made bad choices and when the Lord found you at the end of your proverbial rope and he reached down into that miry clay, to use a biblical analogy, and he pulled you up out of that pit and he set your feet upon a rock and he established your going and by the grace of God, he changed your life. His love for you was not based upon the condition in which he found you, but it was based instead upon his mercy. You see, true heavenly love is extended by the mercy of the giver and is not contingent upon the merit of the receiver. Did you hear what I said this morning? So how do we put this into practice? Because we live with a bunch of people who aren't perfect. We live with a bunch of people who sometimes we wonder what their motives are and we wonder, uh, you know, if they're spiteful toward us by the way that they act and the way that they practice Christian love by their own definition. Sometimes we fail, church, this morning to love people like Jesus commands because our motives for love are wrong. If we're being honest, how we function in, in, the, in terms of our self-preservation mechanisms and things that we employ, if we're being honest, we are only willing to love people who are going to love us in return. And this is the unconditional love I'm talking about. Because Jesus said, I will love you regardless of whether or not you love me. Do you know that the love of Jesus has been offered and through us can be offered to every person who will live in this world? And we have a mandate from the Lord to tell the nations the gospel and make sure that they know that the way Jesus loves them. But can I tell you that there are people who are going to hear that message in this community and around the world through the ministry of this church, through the ministry of the body of Christ around the world, who are not going to receive it, who are going to reject it, who are going to despise it and reject it just the way that Jesus was despised and rejected as he came to this earth and died on the cross. And can I tell you this something this morning, church? Jesus loves those people all the very same. And so how does that impact our love for others? J.D. Greer, who's a great pastor in the South, said this. He said, God doesn't love you because you're beautiful. You're beautiful because God loves you. And so I wonder this morning, how many people need to experience the love of God through our lives and who will become a more beautiful display and representation of God's love as we love them well? If we imply this mode of only loving those that can reciprocate, we're going to have a very narrow channel of love that flows from our life. 
But I believe it's the Lord's design that every person in this church family be, be truly loved and be loved well by every other member of this family and to be recipients and givers of God's grace. I'm going to skip the illustration for the sake of time. Let's go to the third point. Not only is God's love for us intentional, not only is God's love for us unconditional, but lastly this morning, God's love for us, and I love this one. Forgive me for the sake of alliteration this morning. God's love for us is perpetual. It does not Jeremiah chapter 31, appearing to that Old Testament saint, the Bible says this, the Lord hath appeared unto me, and this is the words of Jeremiah saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with thy loving kindness have I drawn thee, says the Lord. And of course, in moments like these, often those of us that are familiar with passages of scripture, our mind runs back to things like Romans chapter 8, where we think, what and who can separate us from the love of God. And there's a big list there. Nothing, nothing, I'm persuaded, neither death nor life, anything can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't know all of your testimonies. I don't know where you're at in your life this morning or what you're facing. But can I just encourage you this morning with the heart of a pastor, the heart of a shepherd for you today, that facing difficulty in life should never make you or I question God's love for us. We should never wonder, have I stepped somehow out of God's protective care because I'm facing a diagnosis from a doctor that I wish I wasn't? If, I, if I've lost my job, if I'm, if I'm dealing with turmoil in my family, if there's some type of tension in my life, Lord, have I somehow outran your grace? Where are you, God? And we have the assurance through the word of God and through the spirit of God this morning that we can never find ourselves in a place where we are not covered by the love of God, ever. Someone said this, you've already given God countless reasons not to love you, and yet you still haven't convinced him to change his mind. I'm so thankful for that. I love the, the lyrics. Lisa will know this probably the, to that worship song that says, your love never fails, it never gives up on me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. We don't go without the love of God this morning, church, dear precious saints, for the lack of its reality in the world or the lack of its availability to us. We do have an enemy that wants to convince us that we're not loved. We do have an enemy of our souls that walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and that's Satan himself who wants to try to deceive us into thinking that we're on our own. John chapter 15 says it this way, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is Jesus writing to us, and he says this to all who would read it in the coming generations. He says this, continue ye in my love. And so it's a deliberate choice that we sometimes have to make to walk in love. When we know that our emotions and our experiences are trying to pull us away from it, we have to remind ourselves. That's why it's so important that we get up each day and we, we let the, the power of this word penetrate our hearts and our spirits and we find time to get quiet with the Lord so that in the craziness of life and the competing voices, we can hear the still small voice of God saying, I 
love you. Those of you that know the love of a, of a kind or a sincere or a faithful parent know that you face things in various seasons of your life where maybe you couldn't have navigated them without the assurance of a, of a, of a loving touch of a kind, grace-filled mother or a father. Those of you that may, maybe didn't have a parent like that have found that in an aunt or an uncle or a friend at the church or maybe some of you have only been able to find it in God himself, but nonetheless, he is speaking love if we are listening. Can I ask you this morning, is our reservoir of love quickly depleted by those who frustrate us? In terms of the application, do we have a perpetual love? Does our love for others remain through the ups and downs of life, through the scars, through the tears? You know, our love for someone is often most accurately expressed when we actually disagree with them, but we still choose to love them well anyway. See, if I can only love people that have my perspective, I'm missing such a large dimension of my calling as a Christian. I'd remind you, Ephesians chapter 6 says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And sometimes we think it's that person who we're frustrated with or that person who's our enemy or that word that was spoken that hurt us when in reality, that person was nothing more than a puppet And it was the enemy of our souls himself that was strategically trying to discourage our hearts. And so we've got to just pull the curtain down on that and say, Satan, I know that was you. Enemy of my soul, I know that was you. You are not going to rob me of my spiritual family. You're not going to rob me of God's love for me because your word, O Lord, says that it is a perpetual love. John chapter 13, verse 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love, one for another. My prayer for West Highland Baptist Church going forward would not be, oh yeah, that's that church over on Hickory Ridge. Oh, there's a school there. Oh, you guys have a really big steeple on your building. Oh, there's a really big oak tree out front. Oh, I like your sign. You know, uh, oh, I saw that the kids have a really awesome, you know, uh, play area out back. Hey, do you guys have a softball team? You know, all these things that people look at us and think, oh, that's the identity of your church. I hope that as we make our way through our homes and our communities and we and we're disciples in our circles of influence that the Lord has given us, that the defining quality that will emerge is that is a place where the love of God abounds. That is a place where you can be loved well. And by the grace of God, I think that is your testimony. One Christian author said it this way, if we try to disciple without love, we may help others look like Christians, but they will lack what they need most, a new heart filled with real affection and devotion. Augustine, who was an early church father, said this, in the essentials, and we'll talk about this in preaching in the coming months and years, in the essentials, we've got to have unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. In all things, love. Several years ago in Chicago, and I'll end with this this morning, you've listened so well, Little boy attended a Sunday school. He had attended that for several years and become a part of that spiritual family. And his parents actually moved across the city of Chicago to another neighborhood. This was a young man. This is many years ago. The parents were in a position where they weren't willing or able to, to take him to the church that was so far away. In fact, he actually went to the church by himself. They weren't even believers in Jesus. So they weren't supportive of this young man's faith and his sincerity in Christ. 
he began to leave his home early, early in the morning on Sunday mornings, and sometimes he'd borrow a friend's bike, other times he'd walk, and one way or another, he'd cross the, the vast suburbia that is the greater Chicagoland area, many, many city blocks, and he'd make his way all the way back home, like many of you are feared of West Highland, all the way back home to his church family. And there were days he'd be doing it in the snow and in the rain, and it was quite a sacrifice and quite a real inspirational thing that this young man was involved in. A friend asked him, why do you go to church so far? Like, there's churches here in, in your new neighborhood. We play together in this neighborhood. Aren't these churches good enough for you, you know? I'm sure you could find a church closer that wouldn't require you to get up so early in the morning and walk in the dark and, and to, you know, try to get, get to church at your expense. A little boy rep replied this way, Michael. He said, you know, those churches you're talking about, they may be good for others, but not for me. And the friend asked, well, well, why not? And the little boy replied, he goes, you know, when it comes to my church family, he said, this, you can hear the sincerity and the innocence in this young voice articulating it this way. He said, I go to my church, though it's all the way across the city. He said this, because they love a fellow over there. They love a fellow over there. It'd be much easier for him to go to a local church, but he experienced the love of God in a place, and it's something that he couldn't live without. May that be our testimony in this church. Not perfect people. It's a work in progress, but they know how to love a person over what is the most defining trait of a disciple? I think we could argue through these texts this morning and through the words of Jesus that it is that we love one another as Christ has loved us. Kingdoms go and come, but they won't last. Before you know it, the future will be passed in spite of what's been lost or what's been gained. We are living proof, church, this morning that love remains. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Lord God, we praise you this morning and thank you for this time in your house. We thank you that we don't have to wonder, Lord, if we are your beloved. Lord, we don't have to wonder how you feel about us. You reached for us. You maintain fellowship with us, God, and that fellowship will go on forever through your perfect love that we saw in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray today. May we grab a hold of this. May this not be all, you know, the pastor shared a thoughtful thing this morning. Lord, may this take some root. May this change our mindsets. May this change the way we interact with others in this church, and may it change the way we interact with this lost world around us that you've called us to be lights among. May you help us. I think the worship team will start to play here. I'm just going to invite you to stay seated for a moment and to just do business with the Lord. Maybe in this moment you just say, Lord, I needed to hear that. Lord, help me apply this to my life. Lord, I know where this should apply. And Lord, help me to follow through with it. Help me to put it into practice. I'm going to ask the team just to give you a moment to pray, to do business with the Lord. And I, I want to say this as well this morning. If you're here, this morning. This is a church that loves you, and this is a church that represents the love of God to you, and if you don't have a relationship 
with God the Father through Jesus Christ. If you've never been born again, if you don't even know what that word means, if you are not a believer and you would like someone to take a moment, open the Bible and share with you what that is even all about. You hear me talking about this love that's incredible, but you've never experienced it, but you would like to. Would you, would you find me after the service? Would you find one of the leaders in our church? There, there are people all across this room who would love to take the time in a quiet office or somewhere, open the scriptures for you and show you what the love of God can mean and how that you can become a child of God if that's you this morning. We never want to let a Sunday pass and not offer that, that invitation to those who need to receive Christ. So if that's you, please see us after the service. Lord, may this word not return void. Lord, may it take effect the way that you've designed it to do. We pray in Christ's name.